in the US, there were some heavy winter storms. And these winter storms um, destroyed some critical infrastructure in some of the of the biggest companies that uh, produce such raw materials. And also the traffic jam in the Suez Canal was just <laughs> adding up to the whole topic. Oh gosh, yes, it's been a hell of a year, hasn't it? It all together shows very clearly how fragile supply chains can be. Welcome to Stories from the Workshop, podcast about software and the people who build it. I'm your host, Meredith Luff. I co-founded Anvil, the platform for building full-stack web apps entirely in Python, and I meet a bunch of interesting people doing that. Today, we're talking supply chains. If you're a manufacturing business, how do you coordinate the complex global ballet of suppliers to provide the components for, say, a car? I spoke to Daiska Spielvogel from TMG Consultants in Munich who have just released a new product to help people solve exactly that problem. Basically, so I did my, my bachelor's um, at the Technical University of Munich and did it in informatics, computer science, and, and technology and management. And um, there I started to get familiar with uh, tech topics, basically. Throughout my, my master's, I focused on, on managing or management of innovation processes. And um, there I found huge or a lot of interest in, in data mm-hmm. and um, data analytics, business intelligence, um, how to, to uh, see patterns or identify patterns in data. And that gives you information and that leads uh, to better decision making, for example. So you now run 7Q1, is that how you pronounce it? Exactly. And that's a project? company helping manufacturers find suppliers exactly right? yeah so um we're basically helping companies uh, to, to find the best fitting suppliers with a minimal amount of effort um but with, with a huge quality and based off uh, a lot of data sets so how did you end up uh, helping manufacturers uh, find suppliers? That's a really good question. Um, I actually, after my, my master's, I started um, working um, at a consulting company, uh, TMG Consultants. So that's a management consultancy? Correct. And um, it has been in the market for almost 35 years, um, completely focusing on the manufacturing industry. Mm-hmm. So a lot of customers of uh, the car industry, um, big process industry, and so on. And uh, started there in the division of digitalization. And um, yeah, did a lot of different projects. And many of them were in purchasing or procurement departments. And doing these projects, um, we found a huge pain for the purchaser because there's always a need for finding new good suppliers. Let's dig into some of that context. So let's say that you are a German car manufacturer. We have quite a few of those around where you are. Uh, Aren't you making the whole car anyway? You know, what are you looking for from your suppliers? Are you just taking sheet metal and rubber and producing a finished car out the other end, Henry Ford style? Or is it more complicated than that? Nowadays, it's much more complicated. Um, So a car nowadays um, is consisting of thousands of different uh, different components. Um, even the engine is made out of, out of different components that are all assembled at different suppliers and sub suppliers and sub suppliers. So we're really talking about about the many or very deep production. So we have many tiers that um, that basically 
um, bring their effort and their products together to finally build up a car. And uh, that's why there's many companies, there's many suppliers involved in that whole supply chain. So what what does the job of somebody doing procurement for, say, a car manufacturer look like? What what do they do all day? One of the critical jobs at a um, at every producing or manufacturing company is is basically to stabilize your supply chain. And in your supply chain, there's many different suppliers uh, involved, and all these suppliers obviously are somehow connected to your uh, to your company. And there's some suppliers that for example, um, increase their prices, or maybe um, the the demand of your final product is increased, so you need more capacity at the supplier, or there's simply a lack of quality at your current supplier. So there's many reasons why you need to um, add to your supplier's portfolio. Um, also, for example, if you um, if you develop a new technology or a new product, there's maybe some other key partners involved. So you need new technologies and new suppliers that you that you bought on that you implement and integrate into your supply chain to then basically develop that product. So if you're a big enough manufacturing company, you are always in the process of searching out, negotiating with and onboarding new suppliers for some subcomponent or another. Exactly. So um, and especially in the in the car in the car industry, I think it's a very good example. Um, all the the major changes we uh, we could we could see throughout the the last um, years, basically moving to to non-fuel um, mobility, um, electromobility, and and so on. I mean, that's all new technologies for a company that was totally focusing on on fuel-driven cars, right? Mm-hmm. So um, there's much more new key technologies that that are somewhere that are not only developed and created within one company, but somewhere around the world. And obviously, that needs to be connected. Not only the knowledge, not only the know-how, but obviously also the production itself so the production technology the capacity to produce a product somewhere um, needs to be um, saved and sold and that's basically what you what you do with your suppliers portfolio to um, to find suppliers that help you produce your your final product so yeah I suppose we're at the beginning of this huge turnover in uh, what the supply chain for a new car looks like so the people doing this, how do they go about looking for a supplier? Especially in the manufacturing industry, um, the demands are pretty much technically driven. Mm-hmm. So that means that that you usually have someone from R and D, someone from the from the development in in that process at one point. But in the end, um, it's sometimes even at the biggest companies a very simple process. They just use Google, they use Excel. And they try to generate a list throughout not only hours but days to to finally generate a um, a very subjectively found um, or generated uh, long list. So usually it's um, it's it's a lot of time, a lot of energy that has to be spent on the task. Mm-hmm. But also the quality is sometimes a bit restricted because you only can always do one Google search at a time um, and not really combine, for example, cool features to find good suppliers. So 7Q1 is a kind of a spin-out of of TMG, is that right? Um, kind of. So 7Q1 is basically um, a digital product from TMG. Okay. So we decided, basically, based on our experience at, at many different uh, different projects, especially in the purchasing and procurement departments, we identified 
this exact need um, of finding new suppliers, new good suppliers, and uh, then simply wanted to to create or develop a solution to to basically help um, these these people. All right. So so what is it? What have you built? So we we developed an engine that combined with uh, artificial intelligence and um, deep learning, we are able to identify data from all around the world very easily, very quickly. And doing this, we find the, the perfect long list. And yeah, to, to, to maybe explain our, our, um, our whole idea or, or the workflow, it's best, I think, to explain um, mm -hmm. basically the name of 7Q1 um, because the name is 7Q, seven questions. So we ask our, our customers, basically users of the platform, seven questions in a guided setup. Mm -hmm. um, and with the answers of these questions, for example, about the product, about the manufacturing technology and so on, um, we develop a digital target profile. And with this digital target profile, we then try to find suppliers using all data sources you could imagine. The complete internet is basically what we are daily searching through. And there's there's one little extra step to, to basically um, adjust or further adjust um, the, the digital uh, target profile. Mm -hmm. And that's done by, so after a few hours, you, uh, the user will receive a list of the first 10 suppliers. And that's just the first uh -huh. quick snapshot of our system. And uh, we're asking the user to quickly rate these suppliers. And this basically gives our artificial intelligence the, the last tweak. It refines the target profile and it gives the, the last tweak it needs mm -hmm. so that we basically find well-rated suppliers. And doing this in the end, you receive after only 24 hours, you will receive a list of uh, up to 100 fitting suppliers with obviously additional information um, to further evaluate and, and like, are those like free text answers to questions or are no they... it's actually so we have a keyword recommendation engine running and mm -hmm. um so you start with the first keyword that is i don't know for example uh, temperature sensor or something like that and mm -hmm. um that helps or that basically pre-fills or gives suggestions for all the the upcoming seven um seven questions so the user in the end simply can pick between our suggestions that are very close to that product already. So I just go through the questions mm -hmm. and, and ticks what he, what he thinks fits the best to his demand. But he also can add some custom keywords. So where he just adds some very specific, very um, detailed topics that he wants to be covered because it's for his product, a very unique. Um, and that's what we also cover. So, um, we, we just we really want to extract the knowledge of the supplier into our profile, target profile. And that is done by this guided search setup. And that's, so that sort of guided keyword approach is, is how you approach each of those seven questions. That, that, that's a good, good uh, description, basically. I like the word <laughs> term. <laughs> and then you just pick that up into, and there you have your long list and you've, you've just got it in, in one go rather than having to uh, grovel over the internet for exactly. uh, however long that took. Exactly. And uh, I mean, we know there's, there's a couple of, of um, platforms already in the market that, um, that helps you that help you basically to 
to um, do your RFQ process, so to your re mm -hmm. request for proposal or, or uh, quotation. And that's the point where you go, I need such and such a part. I'm going to issue a specification to each of you and ask you to propose exactly. sort of some, whatever capacity and pricing and you can... Exactly. And that's that's where, where we just say, okay, there's so much platforms already existing. Th there's no need for another one. So we just make the cut here. We say we, we only deliver you the long list and then you can just simply import them, integrate them into your into your further process because usually... Most of the companies already have an existing platform for their, um, yeah, their RFQs that is that is working quite well. So, can you walk me through? So you you starting out from within a management consultancy. So you're clearly you, you've been working with these companies for a while. You're familiar with their challenges. Can you walk me through like the the process and timeline of going from there to deciding, hey, we should build a product. This is what it should do building it, launching it, you know, how did that go and how long did it take? I started to work in the consulting industry or in, at, at TMG Consultants um, four years ago and um, was basically doing proper consulting projects um, at our customers. Then came, came, came more and more into that um, digitization of procurement. Mm -hmm. um, and then we, we saw the clear need of something that is only delivering what you need and we we don't need a platform there's so many that are already used um in the companies but most of the purchasers i worked with always had the issue well but i do not find i always need to find new good suppliers and i always am really in trouble into 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 finding the, the real good ones um and that's where we um yeah came into a discussion internally and finalized this idea came up with that idea of developing that product. When did you decide, yes, okay, uh, we've been helping customers one by one with so many projects like this, we should ship a product. When did you make that decision? It was, I think, in, in March uh, 2020. Then we immediately um, mm -hmm. started to get into it and um, started to just roughly conceptualize around the topic, um, try to define um, exactly what we wanted to build, and then simply started prototyping. Uh, started to prototyping how that should look like um, on the front end, but also obviously on the back end, since artificial intelligence is something that has its difficulties. Also, and that was quite interesting, we also tried to integrate um, potential customers or our better users into that process quite early. So we had... I was going to ask, what was the first moment where uh, one of your clients laid eyes on your first prototype? I think it was almost six, seven months after we started. And um, then the first uh, mm -hmm. customer saw our product and we went into a co-developing, right? We had a lot of beta tests going on. We uh, received a lot of feedback um, and mm -hmm. we're really um, into analyzing also what the user does on our platform. Um, so because our goal was always we, we wanted to to build a platform that is easily usable also for purchasers that are not experienced with digital platforms, right? We don't, we did not want to do anything that is really complicated and no one wants to, wants to deal with. And that's why we uh, mm -hmm. spend a, a tremendous amount of, of hours into tracking and reviewing what the user does on our platform. And we had so many very surprising moments where we, um, just were really wondering because we did not expect the user to use a certain feature in our search setup 
um, in that way, and we we, uh -huh. <laughs> we never we never uh, came across that idea or that thinking when we when we developed it. But obviously, you need these moments to really oh yeah yeah have customer centric development to really then adjust your platform so that the user is really willing to use it, and then has has uh, has fun with uh, using uh, this that platform to do to does his business. It's always the thing. Anytime someone first starts out with user testing the first thing they will realize is how unexpected the person is. If you just sit there and sit on your hands and watch someone use your software, you will learn something. Exactly. So, okay, so you had this idea, you developed a prototype in just a few months, and then you were iterating on it with, uh, with these early customers. Uh, how long then before you decided to make a public launch? It it was kind of a continuous process, right? Uh, the further you, you go with your better testing and the, Mm -hmm. um, the more information you get, the or the better feeling you get about your product, is it really something customers uh, would like and customers would, in the end, pay money for? And um, throughout that process, we um, we were more and more self confident uh, of of this being a really cool product and really helping our customers. Um, and so it was no question then uh, to go public. It was only a question of when to do it. So what, I mean, that is a difficult timing in the question of any new product or company. What pushed you over the edge? Um, it was basically the, the very good good feedback from, from our customers. Um, so we, we, we invested heavily in beta testing. Mm -hmm. We wanted to have that system ready for the market only after some key customers give us uh, the okay, that's, that's a good product. It helps us. And that's what happened. And based on this good feedback, then we started parallelly, obviously, preparing for the lunch. There's so much more to do uh, when you have a market lunch that is that is not connected only with mm -hmm. development. Um, and then and then we we just launched the the rocket basically. And when was that? Beginning of April, we launched. So that's a little over a year in the middle of a pandemic. From first deciding yes, this is a thing we should productize to exactly public launch of something that's been pre-validated. Exactly. And um, that was only only possible because we have a very good development team, obviously, but also because we um, did a lot of rapid prototyping, right? We just tried out things and um, doing that, that more and more and, and get the, the information or the outcome altogether just brought us in the position to have a real good product developed in under a year. Yeah. So we are, of course, here because a bunch of that building was done using Anvil. Can you talk us through how you use Anvil to build and deliver this product? So in the beginning, um, everyone knows that uh, when he starts a, a big uh, development project, there, there's so, ma so many uncertainties of, of how it will look in the end, um, not only from the customer side, but all, also when it comes to, to all the technologies you want to use and um, how you want to interconnect them. Um, and Anvil basically gave us the very good opportunity to to quickly try out new ideas and concepts. Mm -hmm. And since we um, did a lot with user testing, it also gave us then the, the opportunity to try one thing, test it, try the other thing, test it. And we did not have a huge way or huge process to just try out different things. And obviously, um, one of the key advantages, in my opinion, is that you can use the full benefits of using Python. And um, that also gave us a huge flexibility to try out different things, but to also speed up things in the development process. So how is the application itself structured? You use Anvil for the 
uh, front-end user-facing stuff. You've obviously got some fairly heavy-lifting machine learning stuff on, on the back-end. How did you build that? Yeah, so, so we're using all big cloud services because they, they all offer different services that are mm -hmm. only really usable if you interconnect them all to get the maximum benefit out of it. Mm -hmm. And there, there are some big servers running in, in our backend, um, and they are then connected to, to Anvil using REST API. Mm -hmm. Simple as that. And uh, there's a lot of data transition, data transactions um, going on, but all the searches in our backend, all the front end is an Anvil. Awesome. I think the the point that helped us the most was that we could use almost every Python library, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you can um, use that and use all the community around it to then quickly accelerate and quickly finalize and develop your, your web app. So you're out there, you're launched. Uh, like what kind of impact has that had now? It's been a couple of months since launch. What reception have you seen? Actually, really, really good ones uh, so far. So we have um, very well-known, established uh, companies on, on our platform already. Interestingly, from, from all different industries. And they are also seeking for different products, right? We have some that are searching for some direct materials, some are searching for indirect material. So what's, what's an in, what is indirect material in this context? The best example for uh, differentiating between direct or indirect material is um, every company needs printing paper, right? And printing paper is clearly an indirect material. It has nothing to do with the product they, they are delivering in the end. Ah, but it's to do with keeping the company running so that you can be manufacturing it. Exactly, exactly. To, to, to at that point, we're also able to find services. We even had some cases running where a customer um, wanted to find companies for an M&A, <laughs> uh, so merger and acquisition, right? So, so even that is possible. So because we um, have a very smart, very intelligent way of getting requirements into a digital target profile, and that helps us to then find almost any company in the world. So what have you learned? In this process, what did you come out knowing about the digital procurement process that you didn't know going in? I appreciate you already knew quite a lot because you'd been working with companies like this uh, for years. I think the, the biggest learnings were mainly on, obviously, on the development side. So I learned so much more about, about data, about data enhancing, about um also the artificial intelligence way of dealing with uh, data in our context. Mm -hmm. But in this, in this case, um, it really helped me that I already seen the user side. I've already been with uh, many companies and uh, know how the purchaser wants to have a platform look like and what his daily need really is. And that helped me combining this technological knowledge and the knowledge from the business side um, that basically just merged into our product. And um, that's where, where I learned the most. So and the, on that interface between these two um, perspectives. So obviously, we're in a bit of a funny time right now. Uh, everybody is working from home. But from the perspective of manufacturers, that's the least of it. We've seen newspaper headlines about the automotive supply chain, which isn't the sort of thing we normally see. What have you found and how has that affected you launching this product in the middle of all of this? 
Corona crisis really um, revealed the critical or the fragility of supply chains all around the world. A very good example is right now the plastics industry. In the plastics industry, it's it's now um, a huge topic because no one has the, the, the resins, so the, the plastic raw material to build whatever he wants or needs to build out of it. So it's a... Why has a, a pandemic selectively affected resin supplies? Yeah, I think that there's many, many uh, different factors that uh, that came together. One was uh, rather simple. Due to the corona crisis, the demand the, of the public decreased, right? And many suppliers or many companies that create the raw material, they thought maybe it's a good time to do now a little bit of maintenance. So they uh, started to um, turn down their, their machines and re rebuild some things. Uh-huh. Usually not a big deal. However, especially in these manufacturing processes, um, you, you can't do it within a week. Um, it's usually then you're out of order for a couple of, of weeks or months. And um, that was one reason. So now demand is, is growing again and um, the machines are still down or maintained. Um, the other thing is that um, especially in, in, in the US, there were some heavy winter storms. Mm-hmm. And these winter storms um, destroyed um, some critical infrastructure in some of the of the biggest companies that uh, produce such raw materials and such plastic resins, and um, that's why we have a force majeure now in many many different um, yeah resins and many companies. So they simply do not have the capacity mm-hmm. to to deliver it is needed right now, and. All that together also, I mean, to, to just add up on that, the traffic jam in the Suez Canal was uh, just adding up to the whole topic. Oh, gosh, yes, it's been a hell of a year, hasn't it? Yeah, but but it all jammed back. Um, so, so I mean, there were so many materials um, affected. And that all together now is a huge problem because if the raw material manufacturer does not have or cannot deliver his plastic resins, the supplier cannot build his product or refine it and deliver it to the next supplier and so on. And that's that's why it's so dangerous then in this ca- in these cases, because you have a very long supply chain with many suppliers and actors in between. But the, the issue was at the beginning. And at some point it comes to you at the final manufacturer. But now it's very, very late to act because it all has to go through back through the whole supply chain. And that all together just... Um, I think shows very clearly the how fragile supply chains can be and how important it is then to um, to have good suppliers on board to um, take care of your suppliers portfolio and doing that we can help you with 7q1 how have you found that's affected your customers and the project obviously we see um, the headlines not only in the newspaper but also in our systems because it's plastics that is searched for its wood that is now a huge topic in the industry but also maybe you heard of it uh, the microprocessor semiconductor industry right mm-hmm. you, you if you want to buy a new playstation 5 you have to wait until end of the year or something why because the the first suppliers of all these supply chains they do not have the the raw material to get the semiconductor industry running and that's obviously a, another big big topic right now uh-huh they are now uh, running programs where they change configurations of almost already ordered cars because for example there's a different there's a certain display a certain feature that they are just not able to produce but instead of 
having the car waiting for, for the processor for a year, they really not, right now have to change the configuration, give discounts just to keep the business running in the end. So they see how critical uh -huh. such uh, situations could be only because of a few factors at a few companies that could harm worldwide business. Gracious. This is probably quite a good time to be launching a product around supplier search. Yeah, I have the feeling too. <laughs> we were really at the right time with the right product and hopefully can can help a lot of companies um, finding good suppliers to to not get into these troubles. All right. To wrap up, uh, two questions I always ask. The first, what is the most surprising thing in, you've learned in building this product? I, I think I already mentioned that before. Um, however, I think the most funny situations also are always for developers, I think, to see how, how the user is using or dealing with their product, right? So we spend a tremendous amount of, of effort into seeing and into understanding how purchases, how, how final users are dealing with our product, are using the different features. And some things happen that you just do not expect. So you planned on, okay, that's the structure, but they use it, everyone is using it in a different way, right? And then you just need to change completely and basically turn your development into user centricity. And and that's that was the, the, the best learning or a very good learning. And I think that's where um, I really loved also the challenge then to make a product mm -hmm. so easy and that easy that it can be used by, by anyone, even for non-digital people. Absolutely. So the academic background of uh, Ian, my co-founder at Anvil, uh, is in human-computer interaction research. And so he has a bunch of experience doing user studies. And the general sentiment you get is that if you haven't slapped your forehead really hard while watching it, it wasn't a real user study. Uh, that's a good one. Didn't know that. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> All right. So second and final question. In one sentence, why Anvil? Easy and quick prototyping in the beginning. And in the end, you have a full stack web app. That's, that's how, how I would wrap up Anvil. Awesome. Well, I hope the coming months continue to see you grow as well as you have since your launch a couple of months ago. Thank you very much. Dyskirch Spielvogel of TMG Consultants and 7Q1, thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. You've been listening to Stories from the Workshop. I've been Meredith Luff, and I've been speaking to Dyska Spielvogel of TMG Consultants. You can learn more about them at tmg.com or about the 7Q1 product at 7q1.de. You can find out more about Anvil at anvil.works or hear back episodes of this podcast at anvil.works podcast. This episode was edited by Baz Richardson. The music was by Signal Smith, and I'll be back next time with more stories from the workshop.